Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome back to the latest podcast edition of Real Talk with Chuck and Pam. I am Chuck Kaplinski, film critic for WCIA-TV, and as always, the lovely, talented, and ever-sappy Pam Powell is with me as well, my colleague in the dark. And we've got a big show this week. We actually have five, count them, five movies to talk about. We do. It's kind of an exciting week. A few really good ones and a couple that we're going to try and steer you clear of. And the reason you described me as sappy is because one of those movies, yes, I'm a little sappy, but we'll get to that one later. Yeah. Okay. Good enough. Good enough. And you know what? You know, I'm I'm sappy too. I just kind of hide it a little bit better, I think. <laughs> Beneath that gruff exterior. That's right. That's right. So, hey, what do you want to start with? We got a lot. I mean, where do we begin? You know, let's start with the horror movie. Let's start with One Bedroom or One BR. One BR, One Bedroom. Yeah, this is, you know, I, I always admire films that obviously have no money yet are able to accomplish something. And this is the debut feature of a writer-director by the name of David Marmer. And it's a very simple story, but it's very effective. It deals with a young woman named Sarah, played by a woman named uh, Nicole, Nicole Braden Brown. Remember that name, she's quite good. She comes to Los Angeles, she wants to restart her life. We're not really quite sure why. We get some implications that it has to do with her father. There's been a falling out with, uh, with him. He, she comes to start over. Finds work as a temp, but the luckiest thing is she finds this apartment. Oh, this apartment that's so affordable. It's in a complex, and the strangest thing is is that everyone at the complex is so friendly. Gosh, they're friendly. They, they'll help you move in. They look after the old people in the apartment. I have a feeling that if you ask for their shirt off their back, they'd give it to you. I mean, they are really, really Friendly. Too friendly. Just, just like home, right? Just like home, yeah. I don't know if she actually uses that line in the movie. Maybe she does. But yeah, that's the sense she gets. And that's just what she needs until she finds out exactly why. Why they're so friendly. And boy, you better be just as friendly or you're out of there. Or even worse. Obviously, you got to be a little careful when reviewing films like this. You don't want to give away too much. But needless to say, you know, if things are too good to be true, they are. And that's the case with the complex in 1BR. The theme is really timely because it talks about how people become lemmings, how you all start thinking one way. You, you, when people start to adhere to an ideology in a blind faith kind of a way, how dangerous that can be. And that's really what's happening here. And there's some brainwashing going on all so that uh, everyone can come together as a community. And on the surface, that seems like a great idea, but it goes too far, it goes way too far. And it really, I, I think this whole groupthink mentality that the film talks about is very timely for what we're seeing in our country right now, as far as seeing people who are acting, I think, without really thinking or really thinking about the repercussions of things. And I really liked the last scene in this film. It was a bit unexpected, but boy, the Marmor just really effectively drives home this whole point of how insidious this is, how this groupthink just seeps into society in ways you don't really notice, and how it's all around us, and that you've got to be careful not to get sucked into this thing. Uh, so 1BR, as a modest horror film, I thought it was timely, and I, I, I thought it was effective. And I really enjoyed it as well. And I, gosh, within the first five minutes, 
didn't even notice the fact that it is a lower budget film. But they do a nice job with being able to take some of those special effects and make them effective. Um, some of the some pretty cringeworthy scenes that I had to turn my head away from. I know. Let's take a listen to one of the clips from this film. Please. Please, I just want to go. This is your But really, I, I think that, again, that last scene, well played, well written, well played. And I think, and, and I might be wrong here, and maybe I'm reading too much into this, this feels like a slam on Scientology. Maybe it is, maybe it's not, but there is that kind of cult feel with the founder of the uh, religion and being the leader, and then those four foundations. There just are a lot of things that kind of echo or mirror that cult religion, if you will. So I don't know. What do you think? I, I think that that falls within within that umbrella. I think he's criticizing any sort of group like that, whether it be a, a pseudo-religion, a, um, a political group, uh, a, a, a sewing circle. I mean, who knows? I mean, if you're all, it's like General Patton once said, if everyone's thinking the sem- same way, someone's not thinking. And that's when the danger starts. And you know, I know I've mentioned this, and you mentioned it as well, the low-budget aspects of it. That really works to the film's advantage because it makes it that much more real. I mean, you can tell that apartment complex where they filmed it was a real place. You know, it, it's kind of run down. It's aged. It's lived in. And, and that really, I thought, just made the whole situation, the whole horror of it, uh, that much more intimate. Well, and, and something that really rang a bell with me is Chuck, when you and I uh, rented an Airbnb <laughs> when we went out to LA for one of our events. Yeah. And that neighborhood looks a lot like the neighborhood with those same signs out in front that we saw in the neighborhood where we rented. It sure that, did. It sure did. So yeah, you're right. That hit home with us too. Yeah, that, gave, that actually gave me the chills when I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> Fun movie. Definitely seek it out. I think we can see that on, uh, can we see that through Music Box Theater in Chicago? Yeah, if you want to help support the Music Box Theater in Chicago, go to their website, musicboxtheater.com, and you can buy a virtual ticket. Uh, part of the proceeds goes to them, and part of them goes to the uh, film company. Great way to help keep these independent theaters uh, afloat in these uh, troubling times. Robert Jury is also a first-time filmmaker, writer and director of the new movie Working Man that you can see on Amazon, iTunes, and other digital platforms. Working Man stars Peter Garrity as Allery Parks. Allery lives in a small town, small industrial town, and he is going to his job for the last day. His company, his factory is being shut down like all the other factories in town. It's a depressed area, and understandably so, Allery is also, because this is his last day in his job. Um, his wife, played by Talia Shire, is a supportive woman, but is very concerned about Allery when Allery, the next morning and the morning after that, gets up to go to work. There is no work to go to. He leads a bit of a revolution, or maybe it's a rebellion, with the other workers in town who are lost without their jobs. This becomes more of a, a psychological drama uh, as we understand the importance of this man having a job and everyone having a purpose in life. We also learn a lot about his friend who joins him in going to work in the first couple of days. Billy Brown plays Walter Brewer. There are a lot of psychological issues um, going on in this film with 
not being able to heal old wounds. This is a, a very, as I said before, a very thoughtful film. Um, Peter Garrity does an extraordinary job of really cutting to the heart of compassion for humanity and the need for purpose in one's life. Um, before I weigh on, uh, in on this, why don't we listen to a clip from Working Men? You go rest us all, Hillary. You did this, not me. They're out there because of you. New Liberty's former workers have re-entered the plant and pledged to fulfill the outstanding orders promised to clients. I just want to do my job. You really started something here. This statement of yours. I'm not making any statement, but you are. The thing is, a person needs a job to survive, but you need work to feel like you're worth something. You know, I, I, I don't want to, I'm going to sound like a, curm a curmudgeon uh, being critical of this you? film. You? Um, Crotchety? Curmudgeon? Me? Me? <laughs> because the intention of this film is, is so solid. And I was not really familiar with this actor. And what was his name again? Um, Peter Garrity? Yeah, boy, he's good. He gives a performance that if he's got six lines of dialogue, I would be astounded. It's very much introspective. It's a very much a quiet performance, but he gives you everything you need just, you know, from a glance here or a look there. It's really very good. And I was into his plight. I felt for the guy. Really, really poignant. Problem I had was with that subplot with the neighbor. By the third act, I thought that that just got just a bit too ridiculous and kind of got off track a little bit as far as what the main theme of the film was. I wish that they just fo focused on Garrity's character more than anything. But without that character, then Peter Garrity's character couldn't have begun the process of healing. I think that they were truly intertwined, and without Billy Brown's character, that wouldn't and couldn't have happened. I can see that. I can see that. I'll give you that. But Thank you. his whole backstory and everything just seemed a bit contrived. Okay. Uh, and, and I'll give you that. And, and, you know, as honest as the rest of the film was, this just didn't seem to fit as, as well as I would have wanted it to. You know, and I'm not knocking the movie. It's a movie we're seeing, like I say, if not for anything, just for the theme. And also to champion this low-budget film. It's, it's really well done. And this was also filmed in Chicago and Joliet. And a lot of the scenes, if you're familiar with <coughs> Joliet, you will recognize them. And I'd love for you to, I was able to interview Robert Jury for the film. Both Chuck and I recommend it. I loved it. He liked it. Go see it. Or actually, don't go see it. Stream it. <laughs> well, we've got a, a scene, we, seems we have a theme going in the show today. We have another first-time filmmaker in the person of Clark Duke with a film that not only does he star in, not only did he direct, but he co-wrote, and I think he's also the chief bottle wa washer uh, on this movie uh, called Arkansas. Arkansas, what an odd, odd movie. This is like two movies in one. One of them is really, really good, and the other, you're like, where did this come from? How could it be from the same source? It takes place, obviously, in Arkansas, and it deals with the drug trade there. You wouldn't realize it, but I guess they have organized crime down there, too. And Duke stars as this guy named Swin, and Liam Hemsworth is his buddy Kyle. 
and they are at the lowest rung of this whole drug trade, run by this kingpin by the name of Frog. Frog is a guy that they've never seen. They've only heard about him. He may not even exist. They're not even sure. Inexplicably, they get a promotion, and they are charged with hauling a shipment across state lines or from one town to the next, and it doesn't go well. Uh, They are hijacked by Bright, played by John Malkovich, who's having a lot of fun in this role. And all of a sudden, these guys are working for him. Then we see what's going on with Frog. Now, the way Duke has done this film is that he's chopped it up into five chapters. Chapters one and three deal with the two guys, Kyle and Swin, and then chapters two and four deal with Frog. Those chapters that dealt with Frog, played by Vince Vaughn, I thought were incredible. Absolutely incredible. You see this guy going from a kind of an aimless pawn shop owner to being uh, a major player in the drug trade down in the South. Uh, You see him change over time. You see him become more ruthless over time. And that I thought was fascinating. And I thought Vaughn did a great job. So when we were with that, when you're with that character, I really liked it. But when we go back to the two bozos, not so good. Here, you'll see what I mean. Let's listen to a clip from Arkansas. You decide to run off, I will hunt you down and I'll kill you. Are you going to die? Most likely. Would either of you boys like to call me sir? You can if you want. I won't think it's corny. We're going to go traffic drugs across state lines, sir. If you boys catch yourself starting to complain about boredom, just remember, a bored criminal is a good criminal. Is this an order from Frog? We've been thinking about streamlining. You can't do that. We do a whole bunch we're not supposed to do. Frog don't seem to mind. It's better to have to look for something to do than have something to do look for you. You expecting somebody? You know what's funny? You boys are here just hanging out. Seemed a bit suspicious to you. Now, of course, everything comes together in the fifth chapter. All the characters meet up, and it just doesn't work at all. It's like you've got these two just completely alien parts of a film trying to come together to to merge into something dramatic, and it just didn't work for me. Um... There's some good stuff in there. Like I say, Malkovich, I think, is having a good time. I thought Vaughn was very good in a quiet role. But it just doesn't, it just doesn't meld for me at the end. I thought it was way too disjointed. And I did not like the chapters where Vince Vaughn was involved. I thought that that was totally out of character. I don't think he could pull it off. You're kidding. When I was watching this, and, and I like how you broke this up into five different chapters. And that is exactly what it is. But as you're watching it, you're wondering, how is this all fitting together? And it does in the end. But man, I tell you, those puzzle pieces are smashed together. They were not meant to go together. Um, This is a jigsaw puzzle from random pieces that you try and figure out and put it together, and it just doesn't work. Um, I thought it was slow, disjointed. I wanted to like Liam Hemsworth as this low-life thug. And I just didn't buy him in this role either. The one person I did enjoy was John Malkovich. And that's it. I say skip this one. So you're just not a Vince Vaughn fan or you just don't, um, can't take him in a serious role? 
I can take him in a serious role. I, I think he's an incredibly good actor, but I just, I'm wondering if it was the direction that I didn't like, which is why I didn't like some of these characters and didn't feel like they were believable because I think Liam Hemsworth is a wonderful actor, fun to look at too. Vince Vaughn is a wonderful actor, but I just didn't buy him in the role either. The other actors I wasn't familiar with, um, but there was no connection. I didn't care if they lived, died, or did anything in between. Well, I think that's also part of the problem you have when you have one guy doing everything, and this is his first time out. You know, Duke stars, he's directing, he's, he's writing. I think they needed another pair of eyes there. You know, someone else to go over the script and say, hey, you need to work on this. Someone with a little bit more perspective that maybe would have given this a more cohesive uh, uh, feel to it. We should, we should be hired to do that role. I think that more filmmakers, screenwriters, should actually you know, hire us to read their scripts and tell them where their potential pitfalls are, you know, paying us a lot of money. And then we could do film criticism because that doesn't pay so well. How do we, how do we get the word out on that? I think that's an outstanding know. idea. <laughs> Isn't it though? Yes, it is. It is. <laughs> Let's see what I because, can do. <laughs> you know, I think that you and I, one of the things lately, particularly, that we've been critical of is pacing in movies. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, there's so many filmmakers that seems to be the thing that they can't get a handle on uh, and, and things just kind of dip as far as the narrative goes. I think that w in this case, he was just trying to be a bit too clever for his own good and it just didn't work. Right, right, yeah. It, it did not come off as clever, it came off as clunky. Okay. Now, something that's not clunky, of course, is a wonderful documentary that I know is near and dear to you. Why don't we take it away for, for us? I loved it because it was 71 minutes. Well, what am I talking about there, Pam Powell? <laughs> you, would be call, you would be talking about once is enough. You can say that again. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not what you're thinking. This, this to me, and yes, this is where the sappiness in, in me comes up, but I love the fact that this is a true story. This is about a stand-up comedian from Salt Lake City, actually, named um, Jeffrey James Binney. And we meet Jeffrey on a stage. He is doing a live performance. And his comedy really isn't that great in the very beginning, I have to say. It was a little slow, and that, too, was smidge clunky. But after a few minutes, you realize that what he's doing is he's telling his life story. He was raised in uh, Missouri on a pig farm. And he's a chubby boy, to say the least. We learn about how he uses his wit and his, his charming comedy in order to win over his classmates so that he's not picked on for being so fat. As he grows up, and you can see that there's a really wonderful relationship between he and his mother. Unfortunately, his mother is extremely obese, morbidly so, and this ends up consuming her, and she passes away from heart disease caused by obesity. Let's take a listen to a clip from Once is Enough. When my mom passed away, um, I think it was probably the hardest on Jeff because they were, they were extremely close. I'm spending all this time in the waiting room, and I see this, a Trail Runner magazine. Is the 100-mile ultramarathon the new marathon? Jeffrey was not athletic as a kid. He wasn't really an outdoor kid. In elementary school, I was the epitome of the chubby, funny best friend. Set in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado, runners face some of the longest and steepest climbs in America with a total elevation gain of over 15,000 feet. 
And I thought what anyone desperate to lose weight would think. You guys, I should do this. What I really enjoyed about this film is this was, this was a unique and clever way of putting together a film. It's part documentary, it's part stand-up comedy. Um, the first half of it, we have interviews as well. Uh, we have interviews with his friends and family about who this, this young man is, as well as a stand-up comedy, bouncing back and forth. The second half of the film is more of a documentary as we watch... Um, Jeffrey take his fate into his hands after watching his mother die from obesity. He is not going to walk the same path as her. In fact, he picks up a running magazine and decides, hey, I think I'm going to run not just a 5K, not a marathon, but an ultra marathon. For those of you who don't know what an ultra marathon is, it's crazy. That's what it is. It's 100 miles of trail running. And we're not just talking about roads here. We're talking about elevation gains through mountains. And he decides, hey, he's going to do that. Why not? And we end up running and walking in his shoes along with him as he attempts to do this to me endeavor that is beyond imagination. And Chuck... We, we talked a little bit about the fact that I asked you, what was your response about, did this motivate you, Chuck, to, to you know, maybe do an ultra marathon? And your response was? No fucking way. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <clears throat> I, I got to tell you, I didn't really know much about ultra marathons till watching this film. My hat's off to these people. I truly do not know how physically the body is able to do what these people are doing. This is insane. Some context for those who don't know, I learned that the race that he does do, he has to cover 100 miles in 30 hours. Think about that. 100 miles, 30, and as Pam says, over the roughest terrain, I was waiting for this guy as he's going down, you know, this hillside to trip on a rock, to snap an ankle, to, you know, I think the one guy, his trainer says, well, yeah, you might get eaten by a bear, too. I mean, so, you know, this is unbelievably difficult. You know, the, the stress and the pressure and the training that he has to endure and all of it because he doesn't want to end up like his mom. And I think there's a part of this that he pays homage to his mother that it, her life is not lost, although it's lost too early. He's learned from his mom mm -hmm. and he is going to run for his life as opposed to running away from it. So I, I loved this movie. You can see this on Hulu, Amazon, iTunes. And Chuck, you even admitted to shedding a tear or two at the very end. You know what I think? I have the same response as you to the first few minutes. It doesn't quite work. And I think it's because most of that footage is devoted to him doing his stand-up comic routine. And he's not really right. funny. That's right. the problem. <laughs> <laughs> but, but he's what he really is is a storyteller. And he's a comedic storyteller. And that works. So if you go into this movie knowing that he's not the best stand-up comic in the world, but he is a wonderful comedic storyteller. If you say so, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> but once we, once we get into this whole thing with his mom and the race, I mean, it is very compelling. And like I say, he also wrote and directed it. He's very smart in that he doesn't overstay his welcome, the film. Once we get past that 15 points, he's focused. And, you know, again, yeah, I did end up getting emotionally wrapped up in what this guy was doing. And... That, you know, when he finally crosses the finish line, you know, you can't help but be emotional for the guy. 
So Chuck, in Park City, Utah, there is a an ultra marathon that takes place. And for an early birthday present, I have signed us both up for it. Ah. You're welcome. Okay. All right. So when does training start? <laughs> Tomorrow. So take a, take a swig of that Mountain Dew and you're done with that, baby. This is it, huh? All right. I'm really going to enjoy that. Uh, I, I guess thank you. I don't know. Yeah. Thank oh, you. Absolutely. You are so welcome. All right. So welcome. All right. You know what I was not thankful for? Oh, do tell. How to build a girl. <laughs> You're chuckling because I think you you felt my pain, didn't you? You know, it, this is an interesting one. Oh, interesting is such a, that, that, that's such a broad word. That, 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 that takes in all manner of sins, the word interesting, yeah. I would like, I want to hear your description of what you would say this is about. Uh, this is about a young woman. Who's lost? As most young women are. Teenage girls, I should say. Uh, apparently she's 16 years old. Her name is Joanna Morgan, played by a horribly miscast Beanie Feldstein from working class England. We've seen this story many times. Dad, mom can't make ends meet. They're living on the edge. She's desperate. The one clever thing about this film is that uh, on Joanna's bedroom wall, she has various pictures of people that she admires. And there are actors and actresses that you know who portray these people who talk to her. Like Emma Atherton uh, is Julie Andrews in The Sound of Music and talks to her about singing through her troubles. Did you like Lucy Punch as Sylvia Plath? I love Lucy Punch as Sylvia Plath. Yeah, her, her advice was, was spot on. The Bronte brother, uh, sisters talk to her. Uh, Sigmund Freud talks to her, tries to give her advice. That was very clever. That stuff I loved. But after that, the girl is desperate to write. She wants to express herself on a lark. She sends in a review to a music magazine, something like Rolling Stone. And they don't really take her seriously until she shows up one day at the offices and basically bullies herself into a job. And she's successful at first, but nothing to write home about. But then she realizes that if she's acerbic in her reviews, if she's mean-spirited, boy, that's the way to sell magazines and that's the way to get popular and that's what she does and that spills over into her own life and she becomes a rather nasty individual for a while. This movie just seemed to meander. It just seemed to meander and, and, and she's not very likable and I couldn't get past the fact that she's supposed to be 16. And Feldstein is quite obviously older, and that didn't work for me. And I'm thinking, this character is 16 years old, and she's staying all night, out all night with rock bands, coming in at 5 in the morning and then going to high school? I mean, just the freedom that this character had stretched the, the limits of credulity for me. I, I, I just didn't buy it after a while, and eventually I just got bored with it. Let's listen to a clip. This is Donnie Wong. She's trouble. Yes, I am trouble. <laughs> the thing about crossing over to the dark side is that once you're there, it doesn't feel dark at all. My question to you, Joanna, is when did you lose your mind? What do you do when you build yourself, only to realize you built yourself with the wrong things? You rip it up and start again. Okay, I, I, I got to tell you, I, I liked how this movie started off. There are a lot of elements of the film that I think worked really, really well. 
Um, you talked about the authors and their photos up on the, the bedroom wall. That worked wonderfully. Her imagination in the very beginning as she's daydreaming at, at the library and what happens, that creativity definitely worked. I wish that we would have seen more of that all the way through I agree. this film. I agree. Um, that would have been much more engaging. Beanie Fieldstein, she's a, she's a wonderful actress, but again, I agree with you. She is miscast in this one. I mean, they have plenty of British actors who can do a real authentic accent. They exactly. don't have to put it on. It's theirs. <laughs> I felt like it was contrived the entire way. I tend to pay attention to that kind of stuff, which bugs the crap out of me. You know, and, and I had the same thoughts as you. Like, 16? Really? Are you kidding me? This is, like, not possible. In so many aspects of this, I thought, this is not possible. However, I interviewed the writer of the book that this is based upon. Her name is um, Catelyn Moran. Right. Oh my God, this is, this is truly about her. And she told me about 85% of what you see in the movie actually happened. Really? And she goes, and it's not the 85% that you think. Whatever you think looks too far-fetched to have actually happened, that happened. That happened. The normal stuff, that probably didn't. So very, very interesting. And oh my gosh, Chuck, I had a blast talking with this woman. She went 500 miles an hour, smart as smart can be. She grew up with eight siblings. She didn't really go to school. She was homeschooled. And what that means is she was allowed to watch television and read books all day. Uh -huh. um, incredible backstory. In fact, I was so enamored with talking with this woman that this is the first of a trilogy of books. No. Um, How to Build a Girl is the first one. And then she's got um, How to Be a Woman is the other one and How to Be Famous. And I want to pick up both of those books because I am sure that they are absolutely hilarious to read. In fact, I might even pick up How to Build a Girl because I'm sure that's probably better written. Although she did write the screenplay for this. Well, you, you tell me how, how those books are. You, you let me know. You vet those for me, okay? I will, I will, and then I'll throw them your way, okay? You, yeah, thank you so much. Again, you know, this is now the second time during this podcast, and I've done nothing for you. I, I know, feel I awful. am so giving. You, you should be so embarrassed. I am, I am. I'm going to have to come up with something next time to pay you back. I think you need to, but you can, you can take a look at my um, interview with Caitlin on FF2 Media that'll be posting soon, but I think overall this, this movie isn't one that I'm going to recommend seeing. Yeah, me either. Me either. Hey, you know what I can recommend, though? Uh, Sylvia's Bed and Breakfast in Urbana, Illinois. Sylvia's Irish Inn, I should say. I really miss that. You, I know you miss it more than I do because you get to actually stay there. Uh, but at times when I visit you there, it's just so homey. And it's just so much better than a hotel room. If you're ever in Champaign-Urbana, Sylvia's Irish Inn on Green Street in Urbana, it's the place to be. It is, and another place to be is Hamilton Walkers in downtown Champaign. I cannot wait to be able to sit out on the patio and have a cocktail and some lovely appetizers and a steak. I really want a steak, I don't know why. You know, the, the other thing that I, I cannot wait for, and this is a trip that I really, really need to make soon, Chuck, you can see me. Nobody else can see me right now. Rod Sickler Salon in uh, Champaign-Urbana area as well. Uh, I cannot wait to be able to visit.
So hopefully all of this will be over with soon and we can return to normal and I can have highlights again. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to that and many other things getting back to normal. Let's keep our fingers crossed. Until then, though, make sure that you check out our podcast each week. We're going to be pointing you towards things that you can watch from the comfort of your home and also pointing you towards things that you need to stay away from. Remember, we suffer so you don't have to.